0: Hi, I'm Sam Edis, And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy.
1: This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys.
0: Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Today, we're thrilled to welcome advertising executive turned entrepreneur, Cindy Gallup. She calls herself the Michael Bay of Business and is the founder and CEO of the startup Make Love Not Porn. All right, Cindy, you call yourself the Michael Bay of Business. What do you mean by that?
2: So, my tagline came about many years ago when I was in a meeting with a bunch of potential consultancy clients and I was explaining to them what my approach to consulting was. So, I said to them, you know, I consult very selectively only for clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And then completely off the cuff, I went lightheartedly, I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And everybody laughed in the meeting. And I left the meeting and I thought, actually, that's a really good way to sum up what I do. So I've been using that line ever since, but my use of it is not just a bit of whimsy or a bit of creativity, or a bit of fun. I use it entirely deliberately because I'm a great believer in be your own filter. So when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do. It repels the ones who don't. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort, and money.
1: For many years, you were in corporate America. You were at the top of the advertising industry. And you made this enormous shift into entrepreneurial you know, endeavors. So how did that come about? I think a lot of people dream of doing it, but few have the guts to do it.
2: To be honest, how that came about was kind of by accident. And everything in my life and career has happened by accident. You know, I have never... Consciously, intentionally planned anything. So basically, back in two thousand and five, um, I had my very own personal midlife crisis, in the sense that I'd always thought of forty-five as kind of a midlife point. Obviously, by the way, the happy assumption, one lives to be ninety. Fingers crossed. Um, but I'd always thought, that in a couple of years running up to it, you know, on one's forty-fifth birthday is the moment when you should pause, take stock, reflect and review. Where have I been? Where am I going? All of that good stuff. And so on February 1, 2005, my 45th birthday, I duly did that. And that's the point at which I went, oh my God, I've just worked 16 years for the same advertising agency. Now, wonderful agency. I love them to death. Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty, BBH. I cannot say enough nice things about them. I'd worked for them in London. I'd helped to start up the Asia Pacific office in Singapore. I'm here in New York because I moved here in 98 to open up their American office for them. But the years had flown by and all of a sudden, you know, there I was, it'd been 16 years and I went, oh my God, I think it might be time to do something different. And the problem then was that I hadn't the faintest idea what. Because I had always said to people, you know, I'm not going to work in advertising forever. I'm not going to work at BBH forever. But advertising is a very good industry to work in to find out what you want to do next. Because you come into contact with so many different industry sectors, you know, client companies, interesting people, different media. And so I guess, you know, I'd always thought that my next big thing would one day bubble up from the ether. And there I was at the age of 45, and it hadn't. So vast amounts of thought and angsting ensued. And eventually I went, if I want to review every possible option open to me for what is effectively the second half of my life, maybe the best thing to do is to put myself on the market very publicly and go. Okay, guys, here I am. What do you got? And see what comes. So I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH New York in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to. And it was the best bloody thing that I ever did in my life. Because I am now evangelical about working for yourself. Because too many people think that a job is the safe option. It's not. Because in a job, you are at the complete mercy of management changes, industry downturns, marketplace dynamics. I always say, whose hands would you rather place your future in? Those of a large corporate entity who at the end of the day doesn't give a shit about you, or somebody who will always have your best interests at heart, i.e. you. So you quit without a job, and then
1: what happened?
2: So then, I mean, I was very lucky because the moment it was publicly known that I was on the market, tons of things came to me, the vast majority of which I would never have thought of myself. And so I went, okay, I'm going to be employment slut. I'm going to talk to everybody because I still don't know what I want to do. So I am going to take every meeting. I'm going to do every call, every interview, no preconceived notions, you know, even when I thought you know, I'm, I'm really not sure I want to go and work for this company. I would still go and take the meeting. And so I embarked on this fascinating exploratory, which was as good for telling me what I didn't want to do as what I did want to do. Because I would come out of an interview of a meeting and I would go, okay, so now I know in 50 million years, no wonder that. <laughs> and so um, it was just um, a very good way of of helping me understand, you know, what needed to be in place for whatever I did next, you know, which, which ended up basically being working for myself because while I was doing this, I began working as a consultant, you know, to support myself. I began, you know, to, um, doing speaking engagements and, you know, my, my startups, you know, came along by accident, but I did begin working for myself. And and, and in fact, I remember this moment of revelation because That fall in 2005, um, I had booked a speaking gig. So I I was doing a talk at an entertainment conference in L.A. But I had this moment of revelation because I'd done a lot of public speaking while I was the CEO of BBH New York. But this was the moment when I went, oh, my God, I can now say whatever I want to say. Because, Because historically, you know, my speaking was constrained by you know i had to make sure that i was articulating the agency's agenda i had to make sure i didn't say anything that, that would piss any of our clients off and i remember that moment when i went oh my god i can get up on that stage and i can say whatever the hell i want because i had i have i have a ton of my own ideas and i went wow i can now just talk about what i think about the digital future which is what i think this, this conference is all about and and that was you know, a real moment of revelation in terms of what it meant to be a free agent and to work for yourself. And uh, and actually, the, the, the other moment of revelation, so, you know, there I was doing various consulting gigs, and I had this scheduling nightmare because I was working as a consultant on retainer to the Japanese ad agency Hakuhodo, and they had a number of people who were coming into New York from Tokyo and, and wanted to do a big meeting with me. At the same time, I'd begun working for this very interesting client, Confidential, in Europe. And they wanted me at a crucial meeting in London, like on the same day. <laughs> and, and so I was going, oh my God, what do I do? And, and then I had another moment of revelation, which was, okay, Sonny, this is incredibly stressful, but it's all your own stress. Because it's entirely up to me how I sort this out. I don't have some big boss above me going, well, Cindy, you better do this, you, better, you know, whatever. And and as it happened, it all worked out because I basically did the meeting with the Hoda guys on a Thursday in New York. I went straight to JFK. I caught the red eye to London. I landed at Heathrow in the morning, I went straight to a hotel where the European client was, I did the presentation there, I went back to Heathrow, caught a flight back to New York, and made it late to my pre-birthday dinner that evening, but I was back in New York in time for my birthday party the following day.
0: So it all worked out. So skip from 2005 to 2009. You launched Make Love Not Porn at TED. What was your relationship with, like, sex before you launched your company?
2: I'm half English, half Chinese. My father was English. My mother's Chinese. And I'm telling you that because basically, um, as far as sex was concerned, I had a very repressed upbringing. Also, also I grew up in Asia. I grew up in Brunei. And so my parents never talked about sex. I mean, zero sex education. Everything that I learned, I learned from reading books, basically, um, and, and, and so, you know, the only thing my mother ever said to me and my three sisters was, girls, you stay virgin till you marry. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 was, that, that was the extent of the instruction, basically. And did that happen? Uh, oh, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, but, 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 but actually, I mean, I mean, that got in my head for, for many years. And so I basically, you know, went off to university, I went to Oxford, you know, had boyfriends, did an awful lot of everything, but, you know, as you do in those days, and then, you know, when I finally had sex relatively late, I think, you know, I was 21. I went, oh, my God, this is bloody wonderful, you know. And and so I think, you know, because of my upbringing and because of my, my background, you know, I think that that just made me think, you know, sex is something to be celebrated and to be very open about, you know. But But, um, but that was pretty much the extent of it, you know, until you know, I launched Make Love Not Porn and the world responded. So tell us more about the launch. Like, how did this company come to life? So per what I was saying earlier, Make Love Not Porn was a complete and total accident. So um, I date younger men. They tend to be men in their 20s. and, And just for our audience, I will contextualize that by saying that I am somebody who has never wanted to be married. I have never wanted children very happy that I always knew that as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. I adore being single. I cannot wait to die alone. And I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. And I'm deliberately very open about all of that because we don't have enough role models in our society for women and, by the way, for men that demonstrate you can live your life very differently to the way that people expect you to and still be amazingly happy. And I'm one of the happiest people I know. So there I was dating younger men. And this this would have been something like 13, 14 years ago. When I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. When those two factors converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I know where that behavior's coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that. Because 13, 14 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, well, I'm going to do something about this. So um, 12 years ago, I put up on No Money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I had the opportunity to launch it at TED. Um, I've been going to TED for many years. And I became, therefore, in 2009, the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage, six times in succession. The talk went viral as a result. And it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every country in the world, young and old, male and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out, um, telling me things about their sex lives and their porn watching habits they'd never told anybody before. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so I then felt I had a personal responsibility. I had to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. Um, But I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global need, And and I use the word big advisedly, by the way, because even then 12 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream and just as all pervasive in our society as porn currently is. And so what I decided to do was um, I always emphasise... You know, Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst many other benefits, people would be able to bring a real-world mindset when they view what is simply performative produced entertainment. And so our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is one thing only, which is to help make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And so what I did very simply was I took every dynamic in social media and applied them to this one area no other social network or platform will allow in order to socialize sex and to make real world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore often just as socially shareable as anything else we share on you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Reddit, Tumblr. And so nine years ago, my tiny team and I launched Make Love Not porn.tv which is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit to us, videos are themselves having real-world sex, but we're very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We are not amateur. We are building a whole new category on the internet that has never before existed, social sex. And so our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube, or rather it would be if they allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which they don't. And so social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're simply about doing what we all already do, on every other platform, in every other era of life, which is capture what goes on in the real world, as it happens spontaneously, in all its funny, messy, wonderful, comical, beautiful, awkward, hilarious humanness. We curate to make sure of that. I designed to make love not porn around what everybody else should have, nobody else did, human curation. There is no self-publishing of anything on Make Love Not Porn. Our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end before we approve or direct and publish it. And we have a revenue-sharing business model, which I designed to democratize access to income. So our members pay to subscribe, rent, and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, who we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And so we're pioneering what we call the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part isn't the sex, it's the social.
0: So you were like the first person to allow creators to monetize on a social media platform.
2: Uh, No, Amy, I foresaw the creator economy 12 years ago. Absolutely. And in fact, um, when we launched nine years ago, um, I introduced our business model with a blog post. And I titled the blog post, How Make Love Not Porn Can Help the Global Economy. And I began it by saying... You know, all those little scam ads that pop up on the internet all the time going, make $2,000 a week working from home. Well, now you can. And in the post, I said, our aim is to one day hit the kind of critical mass where your Make Love Not Porn video gets a million rentals at five dollars per rental. And we give you half that income. Now, we're a very long way off that, by the way. But I'm happy to say that during the pandemic, our Make Love Not Porn stars, like everyone else, they've lost their jobs, can't find work. They tell us that our monthly payouts have helped them keep going, paid their rent you know, some of them are living off those alone, which is wonderful. But yes, I foresaw the creator economy before anybody else did. And I built a safe, legal consensual platform for sharing a real world sex years before OnlyFans had the same idea. And now for a quick break.
3: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
5: my best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
4: I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true?
5: That's true. And I'm not offended by it. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Oh, thank God for the limits.
4: And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. How do you spread the word given how reluctant people are to talk about sex?
2: The answer is, um, in the first instance, with extreme difficulty but for a different reason, Sam, because I have to tell you and our audience that since we launched Make Love Not MakeLoveNotPorn.TV nine years ago, we have had nothing but a positive reaction all around the world because we are transformative. As an utterly unique venture, we have an utterly unique capability. We have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better in all sorts of amazing ways. Um, the only challenges I've had are in the business and financial world, but they are massively business growth inhibiting. Because, and by the way, I had no idea of this until I embarked on building Make Love Not Porn. We fight a battle every day to keep Make Love Not Porn alive, essentially because every piece of business infrastructure any other tech startup takes for granted, we can't, the small print always says no adult content. And I mean, this is all placed across every area of the business. I can't get funded. I can't get banked. Make at Porn is a no-risk venture in a high-risk, what is deemed a high-risk category, because we, we can vouch for every piece of content on our platform in a way that nobody else does. Um, but especially, Sam, to answer your question, one of the most frustrating things is we can't advertise. We are banned from advertising on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. I mean, Reddit, by the way, I ask you. Okay, Twitter. But it's not just us. Um, Our audience needs to know that this is massively gendered. Any female lens, sexual health and wellness venture cannot advertise either. Menstruation ventures can't advertise on Facebook and Instagram. Menopause ventures can't advertise. Fertility ventures can't advertise. However, Male sexual health and wellness ventures, erectile dysfunction solutions, come on in, they're all over the place. you know. And so in terms of how we spread the word, we have to rely, and by the way, I'm constantly trying to break down these barriers all, all the time, but we have to rely on two things. Um, the first one is media coverage. Um, And so the one benefit of being a controversial venture is that we get ongoing media coverage all around the world without doing one single bit of media or PR outreach. We just as well, can't afford to. And the interesting thing there is that whenever we're covered in any country in the world, that country, no matter how tiny, rockets to be number two in traffic after the US. And if it's a big country, it becomes number one in traffic. You know, I mean, a few years ago, somebody wrote about us in Serbia, minuscule, number two in traffic. That summer, we are written about in Switzerland, you know, number two in traffic. And because Squid Game is very popular, I want everyone to know that last year, one of the biggest newspapers in South Korea wrote about Make Love Not Porn. But by the way, we have no idea these pieces are coming out. I mean, they, they find us and they come, you know. And I woke up to South Korea as our number one source of traffic, accounting for 54% of it. That is how much people want us when they find out what we are. If porn is a Hollywood movie, we are the real world documentary and the world is desperate for it. And by the way, without funding, we're not translated. We cannot leverage that traffic. South Korea is one of those countries where, unfortunately, people don't tend to read and write English, you know, and and so huge bounce off rate, unfortunately. And then the second thing, and this is also interesting in terms of how much the world wants us, is organic search. Every day all around the world people search for make love not porn without knowing that we exist. And what I mean by that is that the top organic search terms that drive traffic to us are make love not porn, real sex not porn, make love not porn where they don't know there's a venture that's uh, called that. One young man told me that he found us when he googled porn that is not porn. Because he was so fed up with everything out there. He wanted something different, had no idea what to search for. When you Google porn that is not porn, you find Make Love Not Porn. But that gives you some idea of how media responsive and therefore advertising responsive we are. The world wants, the world has a massive need for what we deliver. And so I'm setting out to raise a serious round of funding this fall that I hope will enable me to overcome those barriers. Because by the way, trust me, those advertising barriers fall when you write them a big enough check. With serious funding, I can absolutely get in there.
0: Have you noticed in your conversations with users of the site and from the menu date that porn, not make love, not porn, but porn itself has changed how
2: people have sex? Well, so so first of all, you know, I, um, I am my own research lab. This is why. I started Make Love Not Porn. Um, I'm very open about the fact that I date young men, casual recreation. I date a lot of, lot of them. By the way, pre-pandemic, you know, my pandemic is now down to one, I hasten to add. But I see for myself all the time exactly how this plays out in the real world. And that torrent of emails that I got 12 years ago has never stopped. You know, every day people write to us and thank us for Make Love Not Porn. Plus, on Make Love Not Porn.tv, we now have the most amazing comments. And our Make Love Not Porn styles are all ages. But you know, in the same way that, you know, years ago when I launched Make Love Not Porn.com, and it was just porn world versus real world, one young man wrote to me and said, I've learned more about sex from your site than any sex education in school. And and today, you know, one young man. Left a comment on one of our "Make Love, Not Porn" love videos where he said, "I'm so happy I found you. You know, um, this is my very first time watching making love. All I've watched is porn. I'm sick of it. This is just wonderful. I love you guys." But let me just explain what I mean when I say we're transformative, because it's not just the revelation; it's the social benefits that our unique window onto real world sex spring. And by the way, these benefits are especially apposite given the Facebook whistleblower and the hearings happening at the moment. Because social sex on Make Love Not Porn is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything. Real world bodies, real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size, and the reason that's so important is because you can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love till you're blue in the face. At the end of the day, nothing makes us feel great about our own bodies like seeing people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, desiring each other, having an amazing time in bed. Our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex, and they really are. And this is so crucial because, as you know, all around us every day in popular culture, we are sent messages that we are not sexually desirable unless we are this skinny, six-pack abs, look like this. Our members write to us and tell us that we have made them feel better about their own bodies. One man wrote and said, my girlfriend and I now feel able to be more open and central with each other because your videos made each of us feel better about our own bodies. And in fact, we have a number of Make Love Not Porn stars. So we are all inclusive We have many solo Make Love Not Porn stars who've shared masturbation videos, often, by the way, for the first time ever. The vast majority of our contributors have never, ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before ever. They're doing it for us because they believe in our mission. And so we, we have a number of Make Love Not Porn stars, like one woman who joined us just a few weeks ago. We published her first video where she said, All my life I've been told my vulva's gross, it's ugly, it's too big, it's too flat. And I'm I'm sick of it, and so I decided to share, this is the first time I've done this, I decided to share a video of myself masturbating on Make Love Not Porn because I think my valve is gorgeous and I want to know what you guys think. And our community is wonderful. I mean, honestly, the pile-on of affirmation and love and compliments, I mean, she was just blown away by that. And so we are a completely safe space in which you discover that what makes you incredibly sexually attractive is you. It's you, and your body is the manifestation of you in the real world, and it's incredibly sexy because it's yours. And then then the other thing, we also celebrate real-world emotion, love, intimacy, feelings. And the reason that's crucial is because all around us in popular culture, we see many creative expressions and narratives of relationships, but we never see the actual sex, On Make Love Not Porn, you see the actual sex, but you also see the relationships. Because in our videos, those two things are indivisible. And by the way, I don't just mean that in our partnered couple threesome videos, you know, you see amazing, loving, healthy relationship dynamics. In our solo videos, you see what it's like to have a healthy relationship with yourself with your own sexuality, with your own body, with your own genitals. You know, one man wrote to us about a video. He wrote to the Make Love Not Porn Stars. He said, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you looked, other. I saw the way your eyes met. I hope one day I can meet somebody I'll have that with. We get very moving emails.
1: Well, Cindy, I want to talk about that because it's interesting the way you talk about your own social life, right? You broadcast the fact that you date younger men and you're not interested in a relationship. You're not interested in getting married. You're not interested in having kids. Yet you talk about one of the best things about your site being the fact that it does draw out relationships and the emotion behind this sex. So how do you justify
2: that? Sure. So I absolutely have relationships. They're just not everybody else's idea of relationships. So um, I meet the younger men I date on cougar dating sites. I applaud the rise of the niche dating site where everyone knows exactly why they're there. And I have one fundamental criterion. No matter how casual the relationship, they have to be a very nice person. I have fantastic radar for very nice people, and as a result, I only date utterly lovely younger men in an atmosphere of mutual trust, respect, affection and liking. and so ironically, my so-called casual relationships go on a lot longer than most people's so-called committed ones. I date younger men off and on over periods of two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen years. They may go on to date girls their own age. They may get married. We like each other. We stay friends. I'm friends with a ton of them on Facebook. You know, and, and we will meet platonically for coffee or drinks. And then every so often, those relationships end, those marriages end, they come back. And it's very nice. And, and so it's not what the world thinks of as a conventional relationship, but those are very rewarding relationships and quite profound ones, both for me and for them.
1: You know, Amy and I... And a lot of our friends will look upon a man who says, I only date younger women and kind of look down on him for that. It's very unusual to hear a woman say it. And so my initial reaction is, is it a double standard that we're not saying, oh, that's terrible that Cindy is basically not interested in men her own age?
2: Well, actually, I think it's the other way around, Sam, because to be frank, in our society, Older man, younger woman, nobody bats an eyelid. Fact of life. Okay? You know, some people may criticize, but broadly speaking, that man is celebrated as a hero. He's got some fantastic arm candy. Older woman, younger man, way less acceptable much more vilified and so again um, part of what I'm doing is championing this relationship model to encourage people to equalize perceptions of both I mean I happen to think that you should design the relationship model that works for you you know wh- wh- whatever that may be and, and actually by the way that model changes the different stages in your life depending on, on what you feel you want in fact even I who champion the station model I am gobsmacked on cougar dating sites by the vast numbers of younger men who want to date old women. And when I say date, by the way, I mean date, not just have sex with, they actually want relations. But we're not as aware of that because, again, I've encountered younger men who were terrified their friends and family would find out they liked older women. And I've encountered younger men who who are very happy to be seen out with me, meet my friends, et cetera. But our society has somehow made it more embarrassing you know, to be an older woman and younger man dating each other than the other way around, which I think is outrageous. So I'm out to equalize that shit.
1: <laughs> Do you think there was something in your background that made you have an aversion to getting married and having kids?
2: No I, th- no, I mean, my parents had the happiest marriage going. I mean, my father died a couple of years ago, but they were married for 60 years. My mother's been grief-stricken ever since. Honestly, um, I would say... There are far more people who would feel like me if they stopped and thought about it, because unfortunately, many people, you know, live their lives in oiled grooves and in the fear of what other people will think. There are many people living lives they don't want to live in marriages they don't really want to be in having children they didn't necessarily want to have because of fear of what other people would think. They did the socially acceptable thing. Again, why I believe in being very vocal about the fact there is a different way, because I would really like so many people to just stop and think about what would really make them happy and to really tease out, do you want children because you really want children or do you want children because your mother's on your back about it, all your friends are having them, And um, somebody published the other day, not not too long, long ago, a study of, you know, many parents who have said that with the benefit of hindsight, they would not have had children. Obviously, they love the children they have, you know, but there are many people who would have chosen not to have children if I had an understanding of everything that it entailed.
1: You know, what's very interesting about you, Cindy, is that you're not only inspirational in business and you're always getting women to negotiate and pursue their dreams, but you also have this entirely other thread, which is inspiration personally. What would you say to someone who's listening who feels personally stuck in a relationship?
2: So, you know, I think um, I would say the same thing that I say to anybody who feels stuck in any situation. And this is very much a personal philosophy of mine. It's also one, by the way, that I designed to Make Love Not Porn around as well, because with one's own startup, you get to design all your own beliefs and values and philosophies into it. But I believe that everything in life starts with you and your values. And. So I say to people, if, you, if you've ever done this exercise, just take a long, hard look into yourself and identify what you stand for, what you believe in, what you value, because when you do that, that makes life so much simpler. Life still throws at you all the shit it always will, but you know exactly how to respond to that shit in any given situation in a way that is true to you. And by the way, that is the secret of happiness, living your life and working your work in a way that is true to you. And so if you're stuck in a relationship, honestly, you know, identify your values and ask yourself, is this relationship delivering on my values and what I believe in and what I stand for? Because if it's not, you know, you want to get the hell out, basically. And incidentally, just to make you aware of what I mean when I say I designed Make Love Not Porn – around this because this may also have a bearing on the question. I regularly ask people this question. What are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, a work ethic, a sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed, but they should. Because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect, are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so what we do at Make Love Not Porn is we role model good sexual values and good sexual behavior. And by the way, That's why we are so massively relevant in the era of Me Too. Because right now, quite rightly, everybody is talking about consent. Everybody's writing about consent. Lots of thoughtful, nuanced, insightful think pieces out there about consent. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. The only way you educate people as to what is great Consensual communicative sex, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior is by watching people actually having that kind of sex and make love not porn is the only place on the internet where you can do that. every one of our videos is an object lesson in consent communication, good sexualizing behavior we are literally sex education through real world demonstration, and so That's what I mean about everything in life starts with you and your values, including your sexuality and your sex life and how you operate in bed.
0: And now for a quick break.
4: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
5: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. i never seen a man How'd we do today? We did good.
4: The Black Effect presents family therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development,
4: In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about Indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanika on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The other day, one of the moms at school said, how do you talk to your kid about porn? And it's that's the wrong question. The question is, how do you talk to your kid about real sex and about what that should look like? And what porn is in relation to that, right? I mean, that's what you're sort of teaching us today, Cindy.
2: Exactly. And actually, because it may be helpful for our listeners, I will give you the the two pieces of advice I give every parent, because parents and teachers have been writing to us since day one of Make Love Not Porn, as you can imagine. And so the two key things are, number one, you cannot begin talking to your child about sex too early. And when I say that, I don't mean literally talk about sex. What I mean is the very first time your child asks where babies come from, you know, touches their genitals, the most important thing isn't even what you say to them as much as how you say it. Never ever get visibly embarrassed. Never get flustered. Never, you know, change the topic, leave the room. Instead, just calmly, straightforwardly Answer them honestly and truthfully, and you will open up a channel of communication between them and you that will be there for the rest of their lives. And then the second piece of advice I give is today, sadly, when you talk to your child about sex, you must also now talk to your child about porn. And it's a lot easier to do this than most parents realise because all you do is you say a version of what I'm about to tell you and you dial it up or down depending on the age of the child. So you go, so darling. We've just talked about sex and you know how together we watch movies and videos and cartoons where things happen that aren't real. Well, there are also movies and videos about sex and they're not real either. And because of that, they can be quite confusing. And so we would rather you didn't watch them till you're older. But if anybody ever shows you anything like that or you stumble across it, Come and talk to us, we can explain it. And that is literally all you have to say, because you have done two very important things. First of all, you've set up in their minds when they stumble across porn, as they sadly will, it's not real. And secondly, you have encouraged them to come and talk to you about it, and you will want them to do that, because what somebody shows them on a the phone in the playground. What they stumble across at a neighbor's house can be utterly traumatizing.
1: That's amazing. I love it. Sam, do should we go to the speed round? All right, Aim, do you want to take it away? What do you
0: do at night after you're finished working?
2: Oh, um, very simple. Um, read in bed. And so, you know, I'm I'm a big reader. And I'm also, by the way, very conscious of that thing about you should not be looking at a screen right up until you go to sleep, because it's not going to help you sleep. So one of my great pleasures is just lying in bed with a good book. And I hugely enjoy that.
1: That's one of my favorite pleasures, too. And I know another one of your favorite pleasures is your cocktails. What is your favorite cocktail?
2: Uh, that's an easy one. Grey Goose Martini, straight up with a twist, very dry, with a glance in the direction of the roof bottle. Uh, opposite end of the day what's your morning routine so I actually get up very early and that's not an intentional thing it's to do with the fact that this is less so in the pandemic but now I've resumed international travel uh, because I'm I'm now you know trying to get over to London regularly to see my my 88 year old mother who's over there whom I didn't see for one and a half years in the pandemic so um um, th- th- this is kind of triggered by jet lag. But, you know, I- I'm in the habit of going to bed early and correspondingly waking up very early. And so I wake up um, usually around five thirty or six. And I just love that time of day. You know, I love watching dawn break. I mean, sadly, you know, the mornings are now getting really dark, which is depressing. Um, but, you know, um, I love, you know, making a cup of coffee, You know, getting stuck into my emails, you know, the news and so on, while the world is still waking up around me. And so um, I really enjoy being an early riser.
1: Yeah, I call that the magic hour when you're up ahead of everyone else. It's really a good feeling.
2: And also very lucky here in the Sky apartment, which obviously our listeners can't see, but I have stunning views. And so as dawn breaks, that also just really enhances all of it.
1: What's the story behind the
2: Sky apartment? So the Sky apartment is my home. It's the hashtag and the name I gave to my apartment. So... I found this by operating my New York real estate philosophy of always go looking for what nobody else wants. Because the only way to have a nice apartment, to afford a nice apartment in New York is to buy a shiphole and renovate it. And so, and so I basically raked street easy, um, looking for what nobody else wanted. And I found the listing for the Sky apartment, which spoke to me for two reasons that had would have had everybody else running fifty miles in the opposite direction. And by the way, they clearly had. It'd been on the market for eight months. No one had bought it. Reason number one: zero photographs of the apartment on the listing. I went, great, it's a shithole. Okay, <laughs> clearly, clearly so bad that they, you know, they couldn't even cheat a tiny corner photographically. Born out by point number two, the copy said bring your vision and your architect. I went, great, total shithole. So I called my broker. I went, I want to go and see this one. So he calls the other broker, makes an appointment, comes back, says, okay, we're going on this day at this time. Then he said, oh, and by the way, Cindy, just so you know, the other broker said to me, I hope your client has a lot of imagination. So he goes, she's got nothing but imagination, but I'm going, loving these vibes. This listing was talking my language. So on the appointed day, we you know meet this broke in the lobby of a very tall, nondescript building on Fifth Avenue in Midtown. And she says to us, before we go up, let me just prepare you. So I'm thinking this is getting better and better. So she says, this building was built 30 years ago. The developer who built it built on the roof, side by side, two penthouses, they're triplexes, penthouse A, penthouse B. She said, we're going to go and see penthouse A. And Penthouse A is lived in by a hoarder. And until he went, ka-ching, jackpot! Because I was thinking, bargain, bargain, bargain. And she said, Let me tell you, it was way worse when we first saw it. At least he's now cleared paths through the stuff. You can vaguely see inside the rooms. And I'm just thinking, all my Christmas has come at once. So the 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 broker is obviously very startled at the fact that I'm completely unfazed at hearing this. As we go up in the elevator, she says to me, people with vision come here, they lose their vision instantly. So if some idea of how bad it was by the fact that she was underselling every step away at the front door. So I walked into an apartment that was piled high with stuff. I mean, you couldn't see a thing behind it. And also it had not been maintained in 30 odd years. There were holes in the walls, the windows were covered in shit, but behind it, I saw a triplex penthouse on Fifth Avenue, with stunning views, three terraces, and a vast amount of outdoor space. And I went, this is my apartment. And because everybody else ran screaming, it was a total bargain for Manhattan, but it required a full-on gut renovation of everything, which, thank goodness, we finished just before the pandemic. And so in lockdown, I had at least views on outdoor space, which made a huge difference. But that is hashtag the Sky Apartment.
1: So Lou is here. He's been listening to our conversation and he comes in with the male perspective.
5: I'm going to be quick. I'm going to ask the question that a lot of people are probably thinking. How is it having sex with a, with a person that's in their 20s versus a person that would be like your age?
2: Well, you know, obviously, because as I've said, I'm not a relationship person. I'm not looking for a relationship, and I am looking for sex. Um, you know, the, the the difference is, quite frankly, lots of stamina and very short recovery periods. <laughs> and and <laughs> sadly, I'm not I'm not going to get that with a man my age. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure. And can I say to our listeners, if you liked what you heard, please do support us by going to MakeLoveNotPorn.tv. Do sign up for a subscription. They start at $10 a month, so they're eminently affordable. Do consider becoming a Make Love Not Porn Star. You can be anonymous, by the way, wear masks, faces in shadow, out of frame. About about half our Make Love Not Porn Star community, you know, choose to be anonymous. And, and and also, by the way, again, because we operate unlike anybody else on the internet, you know, the moment you want your videos down, we delete them instantly. So everything is under your control. But our Make Love Not Porn Stars tell us that socially sharing their real-world sex on Make Love Not Porn has been as transformative for them and their relationships as socially sharing everything else has been for the world at large.
0: Well, I think it's safe to say we could have talked to Cindy for five more hours, Sam.
1: I really liked Cindy before the interview, but now I love her. She is awesome.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to What's Her Story
1: with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's
0: Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co, and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com.
1: Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, our social media manager, Phoebe Cranefuss, and our male perspective, Lou Burns.